All right, guys, this is another episode of Subtle Asian Voices, and I'm your host, Norman. And if you haven't done it already, make sure you uh, subscribe down there. And today, I have a really, really special guest for me here today, my friend here, Ali. And he's going to tell us a little bit about himself and what he does. All right. So, okay. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Alejandro. I'm, I'm a humanitarian worker. I've been doing humanitarian work for the last eight years or so. But actually, by education, I'm a, I'm a landscape architect. But I, I started doing humanitarian work because I did Peace Corps and kind of, you know, it's a passion that grew within me to, um, to, to continue to help people in need. And I've just mm-hmm. kind of been, been doing that. And I also like, you know, being exposed to different countries and cultures. So it's something that, that drives me. And, I, you know, it's kind of who I am now. Right. And, and, that, and that's awesome. But like, so let's start from the beginning, right? So you started Peace Corps. Like, like how did you end up in Peace Corps? Like, what was the mindset, you know, from going from landscape architecture into Peace Corps and then on to what you currently do now and have humanitarian aid? Oh, man, that's so, yeah, to how I ended up doing Peace Corps is not kind of, so most people that do Peace Corps, they end up, doing it right out of school because they've been wanting to do that or they do it end of career, like retirement age, because it's something that they've wanted to do. For me, it was a bit more unorthodox, I think, because actually like when I was ending my studies at UF, um, you know, it was the worst of the economy and Peace Corps was something that came up and was suggested by my professors even. And actually, like, at the time when it was mentioned to me by my professors, it was something that I was not really interested. I was like, why the hell would I go to country X and work for no money? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But then, you know, like, I graduated from school and you know, it was the worst of the economy. It was tough to find a job. And I was kind of scrambling around to, to, to get experience. And, you know, to stay afloat, I started doing ballet parking and other stuff. Like any, anything that came up to, to kind of pay my bills, I would do anything. <laughs> and um, uh, basically, like, I ended up like offering to work for free for a few landscape architecture firms. And some of them can, some of them got back to me and I, and I started working with this guy called, his, his name is Jimmy Sokash. And he has a firm, at the time it was a solo firm because it was the worst of the economy. So he was doing a few jobs here and there. And he kind of like took me under his wing because he wanted me to, he wanted to develop me. So he did Peace Corps and, you know, while I was working with him, he would talk about it, about his experience in Peace Corps Costa Rica on a daily basis. And it sounded like a very different experience than, than, than what I imagined. And it was something more that, it was something that I, that I could like re- resonate to because I had done like backpacking in, in Europe and I kind of was craving to, 
have that kind of adventure where I was like on my own in a different country, figuring things out. And the plus side of Peace Corps is that you do something also to help people. So I don't know, his experience kind of resonated to me and he had an influence on me. And then, you know, while working with him, it influenced me to apply. It took me, it took me a while to get in because I had like my college debt that I had to like clear and, you know, it took me two years, but I don't know. He was, he was the big influence to, to, to get me to, to join Peace Corps. He didn't know it directly, but as he was talking about it, you know, it, it, it just made me interested. And like, he's kind of, he's an older guy. So he's like, he was kind of like the first batch of Peace Corps after like JFK, you know, like did his speech and, and he said like, you know, it's not what you can do for your country. It's not what you can do for your country, but what, I don't know, I'm saying it wrong. It's but, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Yeah, yeah. So he joined after that. He's like kind of like the hippie trail Peace Corps. Yeah. So like, I don't know, I'm mainly really interested in it. So it was, I don't know, it, it, it's something Ooh, that cool. resonated with me. That's cool. You get to do, you know, like festival force, get to see, you know, different parts of the, of the world and you get to do some help, some good in, in the world as well too, you know, and get some experience as well too, probably. But, and in terms of like Peace Corps, right? Like, like were you able to pick where you wanted to go or they assign you where you wanted to go? Oh man, that's a, yeah. So, <laughs> so for me, like I was kind of naive when I, when I went into it and I applied to go to like, like central South America. Mm-hmm. And then because it was a long process, you know, like it, the application process is long, it's quite selective. So, or at the time, now it's different. Now you can apply to a specific country. But when I applied, you could apply to the program and they, you can, you, at the time you could select a preference and then they kind of get back to you. So I selected like Central South America. And then initially I was selected, I think to go to like Honduras or something like that. But then mm-hmm. in Honduras, um, there was an outbreak of violence. So they couldn't send volunteers anymore. Mm-hmm. And basically they got back to me and they told me to wait and that they were going to offer me something else. Okay. And then they came back and they offered me Nepal, which is a country that I never even thought of going. Actually, all I knew about Nepal was Mount Everest, to be honest. Like, I didn't know anything about it when they offered it mm-hmm. to me. I was kind of like, I was like, I'm not so sure that I want to do this, actually. Right. And then, you know, like, I went back to, to, the, to the office and I spoke to, to Jimmy, which is the guy that I mentioned that had done Peace Corps before and kind of influenced mm-hmm. me indirectly, not that he was like, you need to do Peace Corps. No, it was kind of more like his experience. Mm-hmm. And him talking about his experience influenced me. But basically, I went back and I was like, dude, like, they offered me Nepal. Like, I'm not so sure. He's like, dude, don't even think about it. Just fucking go. Just go. Mm-hmm. It's going to change your life. And I was kind of like, fuck, I'm not so sure what I'm getting into. But, you know, at the time, I was also doing like, okay, 
you know, I studied landscape architecture, but at the time I was doing like construction management mm-hmm. and I was kind of like fed up with my job and I wanted to do something different. I also wanted, you know, to have like, I, I had a craving to, I don't know, to see more, more outside of like what's normal to me. Mm-hmm. So like him saying that kind of gave me the reassurance to kind of be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go to Nepal. I'm just going to do it. Right. And I did. I, 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 I jumped on it. Right. And how was the experience in Nepal? Like, like you need nothing. Like, so, so what was the first, like when you first landed in Nepal, what was your reaction to the, to that first, you know, landing? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so, so when I first got to Nepal, like, I mean, it was, in a way, it was kind of a, I remember, like, I landed, and I was heading to to the hotel, not really, it's not a hotel, it was kind of like a shitty guest house that Peace Corps put us in, <laughs> and it was kind of like a breath of fresh air, because it was kind of like an environment that I'm more comfortable in than the U.S., because it was like, you know, there's something when I arrived about the smell of like burning petrol and this, Mm. you know, the street is chaos and all that, that I could like really identify with because of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, my experience backpacking as well as like my, my upbringing, like, like Puerto Rico. So it's something that I, that I felt and I was like, actually this feels good. And, but then things got really, different all of a sudden because like Mm. you know I went from like I'm going to the office every day sitting in front of a computer going to construction sites to do management to all of a sudden I'm in this mud house eating with my hands Mm -hmm. I cannot fucking talk to my host family and like Mm -hmm. I'm figuring things out and learning the language at the same time so I got like it was just kind of like a big shock and you know I, I I had a moment that while I was in Nepal when I first arrived that, you know, I'm sitting in this mud house in the kitchen with my family, my host family. They're cooking in an open stove. You know, it's like wood fire stove. They're cooking the food. They serve it to me. I'm eating with my hands. I don't know how to eat with my hands. It's the first time I'm doing it. Actually, it takes a bit of practice. It's not like, you know, eating rice and and Mm -hmm. vegetables and whatever with your hands, is, it, it takes technique. Mm-hmm. So I was eating and spilling the food all over me. And I was like, what in the fuck am I, what the fuck did I do? Why <laughs> am I, what the fuck am I doing here? You know? Right. So it was kind of like, like a big shock, but at the same time, I, you know, it was scary, but at the same time, I kind of took it like a challenge upon myself to, you know, really understand things and kind of like, okay, you know, this is much different than the way I live. So let me experience this and, 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 and try to learn from it, you know? Right. And, and that's a great, you know, you know, experience and like, being able to be open-minded enough to, you know, eat your hands and, and be in a completely different, you know, society that, that, that you're used to. And I think that's takes a lot of, you know, courage, right. And maybe even maybe more people should, do that right maybe go out of their comfort zone and try it out right maybe they'll learn something i don't know i think 
it's different for in that sense it's different for everyone because mm -hmm. like for me the way i i reacted to it and i i had some exposure before of course from i had done backpacking on my own and i was kind of comfortable being in those uncomfortable situations you know mm -hmm. but that's not that's not for everyone and not everyone reacts to it in the same way like for some people it's it's really uncomfortable you know like you know i was in these my host family these people's house mm -hmm. and i was respectful of that i was willing to learn but for some people the reaction is like whoa this is like not the way i want to be fucking living like mm -hmm. this shit sucks i want to get out of here so mm -hmm. You know, everybody has a different reaction and not everybody has that that mindset that they can adapt yeah. to it. Like, mm -hmm. even in Peace Corps, like, like, you know, you have, it's, it's two years and there's a lot of people that drop out in the first year because, you know, being in that, in such a different situation than what you grew up in, mm -hmm. it pushes you to your limits you know like it really challenges you as a person challenges you challenges what you know mm -hmm. in your culture and you know like what you grew up with mm -hmm. you know like like for example for me like the first year of peace corps like it was tough i'm not gonna lie like i a lot of people drop out in the first year because it's so tough that you know you're struggling learning the language you're struggling living in such a different situation you're struggling to do like the regular things that you do mm -hmm. at home like they're just much harder you know mm -hmm. and and people react differently to that like some people like react to that and they feel like okay this is not for me i'd rather be in my comfort zone mm -hmm. you know some people are like me and they're more like okay I can figure this out and I also want to learn from this. And there's also an in-between where like, where people are like, okay, I know I'm more comfortable being at home, but I can do this temporarily. You know, it, it's, it's different for everyone. So it's not, I don't think it's something that everybody should do, mm -hmm. but I do think that experiencing, not experiencing, I think being open to differences, being open to differences in religion culture and this kind of thing that's something that everybody can do yeah but having this kind of experience is it's a different thing right. i don't think it's for everyone it's maybe a little bit more more of extreme experience but i was talking more about like just like like going out in the world and just like maybe like going to a different country for vacation or something and maybe that would be something that would be open-minded for them as experience but in terms of like at the end of at the whole end of the of the process, like what did you learn about yourself and maybe about the world around you after your stint that with Peace Corps was over? I think one of the things that like I really felt was that you know like Nepali culture, of course, is very different than Puerto Rican culture or the culture in Miami that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. So. For me, like one of the things that really stood out were like underlying, like common ground. Like, you know, in Nepal, people are predominantly Hindu or Buddhist, but the way they celebrate 
the way that, you know, they have meaningful time with family or with loved ones. In the end, it's all the same, you know, like, like there's Hindu holidays that, you know, are a week long, but are very similar to the holidays that we have, or I don't know, it's, it, there's a lot of similarities in the way that we think, even though we're so different, you know, and that's mm -hmm. something that, that I, I really felt because by the end of the, my time in, in Nepal, I, I really felt like it was tough at the beginning because it was, one, it was not a culture that I could identify with. But by the end of Peace Corps, I really felt like it was my home, you know, and I belonged there and, mm -hmm. you know, speaking Nepali and I, you know, I remember when I got back from, from Peace Corps, I was talking to, to my uncle one day and he was like, the way you're talking to me in English and Spanish is really weird. And then he saw a guy in, in, on the news that was Nepali. He was like, dude, you're just speaking with a Nepali accent. I just realized <laughs> I saw a guy on the news and you speak with a Nepali accent, you know, like it just right. became a part of me. Yeah. And it's still a part of me. I think it'll be a part of me for, for the rest of my life because, you know, like it's not only about like these underlying similarities, but also like the bonds that I made with people there mm -hmm. are, I, I don't know. It's something that changed me for forever because it's, you know, they're so different than me. Their upbringing was so different than me. You know, they're subsistence farmers. I came from, you know, born in Puerto Rico, being raised in Miami to, you know, this completely different life to living as a, uh, in a family that's subsistence farming, eating with my hands. Mm -hmm. and, you know, at the end, it's not so different, to be honest. And they're like, I also, like, one of the biggest things that I learned from it is like, because they were subsistence farmers and, you know, they had some form of incomes that were quite small, but, you know, it, one of the things that really stuck with me is that you can do so much more with so much less, right? What I mean is like, like in the US there's this culture of like, I need to make as much money as I can. I need to do, especially in Miami, like you have these like, it's like this fucking go, go, go culture let me try to get as much as I can and be the most of everything. Whereas actually you don't need to do that. You can, you know, you can have enough without having to have the most money or having the most resources. You know, happiness is a package that doesn't have to be that. It could be, you know, you have enough to feed your family. You have quality time with your family. I don't know, it, it really changed my perspective on, uh, on things. Not that my mm. perspective was, I mean, part of the reason that I, that I went into Peace Corps because my, my, my perspective, I never really identified with like Miami culture where it's like, fucking go, let's make as much money as we can. And like that, that kind of like drive, I, I don't know. It was not, it's not something that, that, that ever resonated with me, but I can say after Peace Corps, it changed much more, you know, like I can, understand now like you know these people for example like the host family that i live with they were you know they were am i am i still on yeah you're still on oh the the, the is, is, all right so 
that was a little bit of a, a little hitch up there, you know, since you being hit over there in, I think you're in Iraq, right? I'm in Erbil, yeah. So, yeah, the yeah. power went out. It goes out sometimes. <laughs> this yeah, power so cuts. It just happens, right? So it's all good. But I think we were talking about, you know, your perspective changing from, you know, from li you know, living in America versus, you know, living in, in, in Nepal. And we're just going to continue doing that in terms of your perspective on changing. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I mean, I kind of, I'll try to pick up where I left off, but I'm not so sure. But um, yeah, basically, like, I understand. From seeing how, how people lived in Nepal, I, I understood that, you know, you could be, happiness is not all the money that you can get or like doing or living these extreme lifestyles that we in Miami are brought up to expect in a way, like, mm -hmm. you know, like you go to the, going to you know, having a job, making the biggest salary that you can or trying to get the biggest salary, studying to get that big salary mm. or getting as much money as you can. I feel like that's a lot of Miami, you know, and like... It's America in general, I think, I feel like, you know, maybe in the big cities, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's U.S. in general, but like, you know, you... you from being in Nepal, I understood that actually, you know, if you have enough food on the table... You have your family, you have these meaningful moments. They don't have to be extravagant, but they're just as special, you know? And like that, mm -hmm. that really touched me because of course, like in Nepal, people have, you know, much less, their lifestyle is, is much different than, but it was still the same, you know, it's just, yeah, not the same. It was just, I think it had more meaning to be honest, because it's like, they really valued time spent together and there was like right. this value of like really spending time with family and you know it, it was really special yeah and i saw that like when i visited you in nepal and i completely saw you know what you were talking about and i saw people who compared to what i see in america you know it was not you know much right it wasn't seen like people had much in the area, like, you know, roads were dirt, you know, roads were, air quality wasn't too good. People, you know, looked like they were mostly walking, but they seemed like they were happy, you know, I, and I really enjoyed how their faces were not of like sadness, but it was happiness. And compared to what I see in America where people have faces of, you know, they're kind of angry sometimes, you know, and it just, like when I, when I was there, I, I really felt the spiritual connection there of, wow, this is not what I, like what I see here in America, it's not what I need as well too. Like I don't need all that stuff either. And I think that's very important too, you know? So that was, and that was a great, great experience for me. Like, that's awesome. But there's one thing I was curious about, like, like in terms of you learning the language, right? Like how long did it take you to learn the language? Like how did you, how were you able to learn the language? to be able to finally be connected with the country and culture. So that that's kind of, that was a luxury. I mean, now that I've, now that I'm doing humanitarian work and I've been not only in Nepal, but Myanmar, Bangladesh, now I'm in Iraq, et cetera. Like, you know, 
it was a luxury of Peace Corps because one, I had no option. Mm-hmm. I had to, like, I lived in a community on my own. People predominantly didn't know English. And if they did, they knew very little. So it's like, they knew enough English, like I knew Nepali. So it kind of like, I was in a situation where I had to. Mm-hmm. But I also, with Peace Corps, you take three months of, you know, of language training and you kind of learn the basics and you leave, like, I would compare it to like speaking like a baby, but then mm-hmm. you're put in the situation that you have to come through and, and learn because otherwise you won't be effective as a, as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. So basically they, they teach you the basics and then you just pick up as you go along in, in your community, right, basically? Yeah, yeah, you have to figure it out because, like, whatever you learn is a base that you can build from, but it's not everything, and it's not like, you know, it's something that happens with languages. I'll give you an example. Like, you know, Spanish and English, I I kind of, like, learn together. Mm -hmm. If I'm speaking more English than Spanish, then my Spanish... is compromised a bit and then Mm -hmm. if i go to puerto rico i spent a couple of weeks my spanish becomes better than my english Mm -hmm. so like you know it's it's weird (laughs) it's about immersing yourself into the culture and language right basically right and i think our brain just connects i think our brain just connects you you have to be in it to kind of it helps to get it it's it I think, like, for example, like, while at UF, I took Portuguese, I took French, but I can tell you, like, even though I, I got through those classes, I, I learned quite a bit, it's not anything that stuck with me because I was never mm-hmm. in a situation that I had to use it. But being in Peace Corps, like, I had to use Nepali, I had to develop it so that I could work. Mm-hmm. And like going back to like the differences between the languages where one becomes dominant over the other, like, you know, right now, because I'm not speaking Nepali, my Nepali language skills have decreased. But if I go to Nepal and I practice, it'll increase. But it's the same as my Spanish and English. Like I do humanitarian work. I speak about humanitarian work in English all the time. Mm-hmm. If I go home and I try to speak about humanitarian work, in Spanish, it's difficult because I just don't speak about humanitarian work in Spanish all the time. So it would take me some time to adapt and kind of like, like figure out the vocabulary. Right? The vocabulary, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's like a normal thing. Right, and and yeah, I think that's that's very true with learning languages. You just have to be there to and, and constantly you know practice to get it correct. And that's it's awesome. It's awesome that you're able to pick it up and. And probably, you know, immerse yourself into the culture and, and become one, right? Yeah, so and now, it's been, oh, mm-hmm. sorry, go no, no, go ahead. Yeah, and it's like learning Nepali actually like it helped me, for example, when I was work, doing humanitarian work in, in Bangladesh, because there's some similarities, of course, you know, Bangladesh, Hindi in India, Nepali, they're all come from like Sanskrit. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, in Bangladesh, I could understand quite a lot because of, because I knew Nepali. So it was mm-hmm. quite helpful there. 
That's good. And and now I want to you know segue into once you finish you know Peace Corps and now enter your more I guess more professional life life. And uh, so where did you start off from there? Once you finish Peace Corps. Oh, and once I finished Peace Corps, I was confused because I I was not mm -hmm. sure if I wanted to go back to landscape architecture, you know, like design, working in a firm, or if I wanted to go back to construction management, which is mm -hmm. the last thing I did before doing Peace Corps, or if I wanted to go into humanitarian work or development, it's two different branches of, mm -hmm. of work, you know? Mm -hmm. So what I did, but what I did was, you know, I went, I went back home and I was like, okay, I feel coming out of Peace Corps, of course, I feel, I feel like one, I wanted to stay in Nepal because I loved it so much. It, like at the beginning, I was kind of like, what the fuck am I doing here? But at the end of it, I really loved the place. I still love it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted, I knew that I wanted to stay or kind of stay there or go somewhere else and get a new experience doing other work. But I also felt a pull to kind of like make sure that I didn't want to go back to what I was doing before for, I don't know, for a few years, I don't, like three years or whatever. So like, I was, so what I did is I went back home and I, I went back into construction management, you know, building like mixed-use developments, whatever, blah, 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 charter schools, blah, blah, blah. And then I was also doing consultancies for, uh, you know, landscape architecture, designs and whatever. And after doing that for like a year, I, I was like, yeah, this is not what I want to do anymore. And then, you know, at the same time, like Smithy, you know, like I had my, at the time, girlfriend, now wife, and she basically ended up getting a job in Myanmar, mm -hmm. right? So when she got a job in Myanmar, I was like, she was actually working to come to join me in Miami. And I was like, actually, no, don't come to Miami, go to Myanmar. Cause I'll like, I'll also like, I'm also interested to continue to do humanitarian work mm -hmm. or I wanted to try humanitarian work. I had with Peace Corps, you're more like on the development end of things. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to like, while in Nepal, while I was finishing Nepal, like it was around 2012 or so, 2014, 2014 when I, when I finished. So around that time, it was like the time that Myanmar was like opening up from, you know, there was, the authoritarian regime, changing to democracy. It was the first time that international companies were being able to go in, that mm -hmm. NGOs and humanitarian work was, was you know, was like be becoming Needed normal there. Like, mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know, I've been following it for a time. So when she got a job there, I was like, okay, go, you know, and I'll join you. And I was actually also burnt out from working in, in Miami because I kind of overdid it. I, you know, I was doing my, my regular job with construction management, but also doing consultancy. So I ended up working like 
a lot of hours, like, you know, like nine to five plus plus. So I was working like till like one in the morning every day and all that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like overdid it and burned myself out. So when she got that opportunity, I was like, take it. I need a break. I'll come join you and then I'll find something. And then, you know, that's, it, it's kind of how I worked out because then, or how things worked out because then I ended up joining her in Myanmar. And initially I was thinking like, you know, I'm going to take six months, just kind of center myself and, you know, get over the burnout. So then I can like look into getting a humanitarian job. And I was kind of like the first month that I was there, I was kind of like bullshitting and, you know, drinking whiskey and drawing in the middle of the day, working out, mm-hmm. going to like, I was learning like Burmese boxing and whatever. And slightly kind of like putting feelers out there. And then I ended up getting a job to do a project for cyclone response in Rakhine, you know, and that's how Mm -hmm. kind of, it was just by, I wouldn't say luck. It was kind of like situation. Like I kind of like put myself in a situation where luck happened in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. And I guess like, But most people don't get into humanitarian work that way, though. My pathway is a different way. Okay, but like in terms of like, since you had six months of of of, of, you know, you know, sitting around, right? Like, like how were you able to sustain yourself for six months? Because I feel like you know, if if you were in the situation in in the U.S., you probably won't be able to sustain yourself like that. So how were you able to sustain your your, yourself? not you know having a job yet and like how we were able to survive that like let, let, let us know how you were able to do that so i think that's a couple of things i think like well first of all like it wasn't six months that i didn't like i ended up getting a job within a month because mm-hmm. it, things just worked out that way so i wasn't okay. able to take six months like i like I was initially planning, okay. but but in terms of like like sustaining myself, and I don't know. It's kind of like planning that I do for myself because you know I think this is something that people don't do in the U.S. because a lot of people are reliant on their job to on a month to month basis to pay their bills or whatever. Mm-hmm. or also luxury you know like like i'm lucky that i've had my family where mm-hmm. i can stay with them and you know even if my job was not paying enough i could still save money mm-hmm. to put myself in a situation where if worse came to worse i still could sustain myself for a year because i've saved that much money and put aside that's a luxury not everybody can right. do that right and that's just like the way that i plan but I always keep like kind of like a contingency of like, if shit hits the fan, I can sustain myself for a year, two years, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But not everybody in the US has that luxury to do that or they're mm-hmm. not thinking like that and they're overstretching themselves to have that fancy car or have like that mm-hmm. super apartment or house that they want rather than thinking like, okay, what I actually need to live 
a good life is this, but then I can also like, I should also, you know, if a hurricane hits Miami, I lose all my shit. What do I have? How am I going to deal with that? You know, people don't think that way. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know, for me, it's something that I've always thought of because I've always, it's not because I'm scared that something is going to happen and I, you know, like, okay, like a comet is going to hit earth and whatever. Like, it's not that kind of thing. It's more like I value my freedom mm -hmm. and I don't want to be working to live, to pay those loans or to, you know, like working on to survive. Like I always want to have like flexibility and freedom is something that I really value. Mm -hmm. So I've always worked to, to keep that as much as I can actually. Right. It's and kind of like, And I think that's a great mindset to have to have. And I think more people in this country in the US should have that as well too. And I think it would solve a lot of issues with you know life here. And in terms of like how you got to how you got to you know your cyclone uh, recovery uh, job, like how, how did you find it? Like, like was it kind of postings or you looked online? Like how was what's the steps in finding those type of jobs? Like once you're in that area. I think, I think it's like with everything, it's like situation, a little bit of luck and talking to people, you know, like mm -hmm. I just kind of like, I got to Myanmar, got to know people, started talking to, to, to people that I met, put applications mm -hmm. out. And through that, like I met this, this French guy that was the country director for an INGO. Mm -hmm. and basically we got to talking and like you know it was like cyclone response for cyclone Komen, which was a big cyclone that caused a lot of displacement and and flooding in in, in myanmar in rakhine state mm -hmm. and basically you know i got to talking to the guy and i like i was honest and i told him look i don't have I have Peace Corps experience. I don't have humanitarian emergency response experience, but I have these skills. I have worked in construction management. I have a, a background in landscape architecture. I can, you know, I can, I can do, you know, some of the same things that engineers are designing. I can also do the same thing and I can cost things out. And I explained to him that I could, Basically, I, I showed him that I could be a part of a, a wash project, which is like water sanitation project, where basically I went into villages that were impacted by the cyclone and I rehabilitated water and sanitation infrastructure, which is similar to the work that I was doing in construction management or landscape architecture design. Mm -hmm. So with that, I kind of like, built a connection and the guy understood how I could help. Mm -hmm. Also like a big leverage that I had was that I was in country already, mm -hmm. but this is not, this is not the traditional way that, 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 that people get into it more. I think my Peace Corps experience for, for sure had an influence. because, like, you know, when you're going into humanitarian or development work, Peace Corps is a plus, mm -hmm. but most people study like international studies or, 
you know, and they do Peace Corps and they get an internship or whatever, and then that's how they get into it. For me, it was Peace Corps. Then I did, you know, I did uh, uh, Earthquake Response Project in Nepal. Mm -hmm. It was not like I was working for an agency. It was more like, you know, I did fundraising and and project management stuff from Miami because I was not in Nepal at the time. Mm-hmm. But we did. I did some earthquake response, and then like I used those things to kind of build a connection, and and it led to to me landing a job. And initially, the job was like three months, but I, you know, like it was three months cyclone response, Rakhine State, Myanmar. But you know, I ended up staying there three years, so it became right. something. It was something different, right? And 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 being in Myanmar, like you probably notice all things were happening in, in Myanmar. So like, tell us your experience in Myanmar. Like 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 like, what did did people need in Myanmar? Like like, like what was the things that they needed from from you guys? So so Myanmar is Myanmar is an interesting country because you know now it's much different with. Of course, there's the, the, the coup and uh, things have changed a bit for the worse. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting country in the sense that, okay, from the humanitarian perspective, it's an interesting country. Like, you know, it's a country that at the time that I was there was changing from military dictatorship to democracy or what was perceived as democracy to mm-hmm. you know to a more civilian led government in that democracy from there was the transition from the military to civilian and then things were opening up to the world on the facade but in actuality the military was still in control of everything mm-hmm. and the military kind of has like it's a lot of I hate to say it maybe this is too political for some people but in a way you can see a lot of what trump did in the u.s mm-hmm. where it's kind of like let's divide people get them to fight with each other so i can push my agenda and take more power mm-hmm. it's kind of how the military operates in Myanmar, where they're like splitting ethnic groups you know getting them to fight against each other they're also having conflict in you know, I worked and I specialized in Rakhine State, but there's also Kachin, Shan, and other regions in Myanmar that are fighting against the government in Myanmar, as well as within themselves mm-hmm. for power and ideals. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very comparable to where things have gone, not only in the U.S., but I think worldwide with more nationalist politics, you know, that... Mm-hmm. that that's going on and you know because of because the military has this kind of like divide and conquer approach you know they people are focused on fighting with each other while the military is eating well you know they're they're making money from the gas that mm-hmm. the, you know the petrol that the resources that are available in Myanmar they're you know controlling the jade mines and selling to 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 China and they're mm-hmm. taking all this money and people like local people are not benefiting from, mm-hmm. from their local resources or the government is not giving back to them. You know, like, you know, in Myanmar where I was in Rakhine, like 
you go out of Sitwe where I was based and you go out on a boat for an hour or two and you get to you get to villages that you know it's like traveling back in time no electricity no schools no access to like social services of any kind mm-hmm. they're just living on like fishing and rice you know like it, it it's kind of it's kind of crazy like they 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 have a lot of needs they have a lot of needs in terms of development like like helping them to develop social services and you know access to to social economic services but also there needs to be resolution to to all the conflicts that militias military ideals are 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 causing mm-hmm. and do you foresee any of these things fixing themselves or you think by themselves or do you think it takes it's going to take you know outside pressure from the world in order for this to change i guess or what do you think about that uh, and that's a that's a tough question to answer because i think definitely like and i think there's something that in my opinion and this mm-hmm. is my opinion i mm-hmm. know people different thoughts on this but you know the us being a uh, a lead in the world i think has a lot of influence on other countries one by example in terms mm-hmm. of the way that we do things mm-hmm. and also with influence because of economy you know like because we we the us is a global economy that has leverage over other countries and i think I think it's important because it's not only the US but also like European countries Germany etc that have can put diplomatic pressure to facilitate a solution I don't think it's I don't think military intervention is something that would fix things I think now being in Iraq for example I can tell you it's something that doesn't work Mm-hmm. but i think kind of being a player facilitating conversations is something that can go a long way because at the end of the day like if you're not able to facilitate conversations and you know for people to see eye to eye and have and work on common ground then solutions won't happen and i think that's for myanmar it's something that 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 needs to happen because it's, it's more like military wants one thing you know then you go talk about rakhine state where people are rakhine nationalists they want rakhine to be its own country they don't want to accept mm-hmm. muslims and there's people that think like that you know but still within that there's a lot of things that people have in common and you know it's about reaching that common ground even though people may have different ideals different mm-hmm. ideals are good mm-hmm. they can also be bad but You know, I think working from that common ground is the most important thing. I don't know if I answered your question, but I was a little no, bit over. No, I think I think that answers it. I like to satisfaction. I think I think that's what in general people should do. You know, just try to look for that common ground. You know, and not try to find the differences. Just look for the common ground. And I think that's very important. But I think, uh, mm-hmm. but also like within finding common grounds is also like. 
you know, like I said, Myanmar, a lot of conflict, you know, like, like I saw a lot of, oh, damn it, the power went out again. <laughs> no, no. Life, life. No, it's still going. So. No, yeah, yeah. You're still good. You're still good. Yeah, so now the generator's in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's not only about common ground, but also like being tolerant to differences. Like, even though, mm. like, for, even though people could be like extremely different than you, mm-hmm. it's also being open to that, you know, like and accepting of that and you yourself searching for that common ground rather than like, living in your bubble because it's easy nowadays I find and I see that not only with like you see that with social media where you're like in this bubble of common ground where you obviously are drawn to the Mm -hmm. same ideas that you think because social media is doing that and kind of guiding you in that way but also like for example in humanitarian work we're also in a bubble of commonness because we have like a common understanding of the world but outside of that you have to be understanding that people have very different perspective on things and you kind of have to respect that and it's mm-hmm. okay to be different mm-hmm. it's okay to think completely different but you know in the end like we all want similar things mm-hmm. so i think it's common ground and, and being tolerant you know like different mm-hmm. ideas are are they can be a bad thing but it's also a very powerful thing yeah i agree you know tolerant of different ideas different cultures i think that, that's a very powerful thing i think it's something that in the last years you can see in the u.s with you know like what's happening in like, for example, like the Asian community, the black community, but you can see it all over the world that, that for whatever reason, things have regressed to more like nationalist, I mm-hmm. identify with this group, everybody else is out kind of uh, ideals. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely happening all, all around the world. Yeah, it's pretty sad. But now I want to discuss like, your like you know perspective on like like what are the cons in the humanitarian work because obviously like like me and you are our friend but i like you live in iraq and i live in miami like what, what, what kind of like cons is to your personal life for being a humanitarian so so that's the thing like if you i think I think, you know, like for me, it's a, it's a tough thing actually, because when I go home or I meet my family, like they think like I'm in this vacation, like I'm just on vacation, Mm -hmm. you know, 365 days, Mm -hmm. just chilling, you know, and I'm actually like, like humanitarian work is tough, you know, and it's, there's a lot of pros, there's a lot of cons, like it's nice in a sense, because you get to experience all these different countries, different cultures. You get to help people that really need help, like mm-hmm. with like extreme help, like life-saving, like if I don't help these people, they will die kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And that's 
rewarding. It's also personally a, a pro in the sense that, you know, working in this tough environment, of course, you get the opportunity and access to travel to a lot of places. And, you know, like, for example, like the last two weeks or the last week I was in, in Greece, right? And I was kite surfing and like I have access to these things. Mm -hmm. But all of that also comes at a cost, you know, like you mm -hmm. are also giving up time with you as my friend or mm -hmm. time with my family. My parents are getting older and I'm not there. Mm -hmm. you, know, I, you know, people get married and you cannot go to their wedding. They, mm -hmm. people, your friends have kids. You can't spend time with their kids and, and build a relationship. Is is You give up a lot, actually, but you also get other things in return. It's kind of, it's kind of something you have to weigh or be conscious of, like, what you're giving up. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's pros, there's cons. You give up a lot to do this kind of work, and it's not. It's not all. It's not fun and games, you know, basically, right? It's not all like what people think that I go home mm -hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, I've been on. Oh, I went to Greece. It was fantastic. Oh my God, you've been in Iraq. Oh, you went hiking. So cool. You know, it's. Mm -hmm. You know this being in this. In this kind of situation takes a toll on your personal relationships, like it's difficult mm -hmm. to keep a marriage, for example, like, mm -hmm. like, like currently, like, I don't know, things are not so good with my wife, for example, like things are going mm -hmm. really bad actually because mm -hmm. of living in this kind of lifestyle mm -hmm. or, you know, like, you know, I don't know, it's, it's you, you give up a lot, you give up a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I definitely see that because like, like, like when I was, when you first started, you know, you know, going overseas for work, like I personally was like, oh man, I'm not gonna be able to see you ever again. And I felt I was a little bit like, you know, selfish in a way, like, I want you to stay here, because I want to be with you, you know, but I know that you were, were doing your own thing. And trying to, you know, you know, enrich your life as well. too. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a very you know, difficult thing to, to, you know, balance, you know, and it seems yeah. like it's a very common thing in your field in terms of people who are in that kind of field are, you know, have to balance this somehow and somehow usually it's hard, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's rewarding in a way because like you see, you have a positive effect on, on people that really need help, but also within that, for example, like, I've done, you know, it also affects you over time seeing like these really difficult situations where, where people are reliant on humanitarian support, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I've been in situations, for example, that we're doing cash programming to, you know, support people. I don't know, in Myanmar after the cyclone or in Iraq, post-work mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. that, for example, maybe we're doing like cash programming and we're giving cash mm -hmm. to the most vulnerable people so that they can like have a little bit of money so that they're not, for example, having to sell their daughters to slavery or to mm -hmm. be sex workers and mm -hmm. shit like that, you know? Mm -hmm. But 
it's also has a it also has like a it also is tough on me personally because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know like at the end of the day like it doesn't matter how good you plan or how good your program is it's people get left out because you don't have enough resources for everyone so at the end of the mm-hmm. day like people are coming like i've had projects that i've done that we're helping people and then still people are coming with their babies and you see they, they give like one time i remember like i was you know doing a program and we're doing cash programming and you know this woman came up to me with her child and her child was disabled and he, she was like look my child is disabled i need help why are you not giving me this help and she just you know she she just didn't she wasn't didn't fit the criteria of the program and we just couldn't extend support to her because we just didn't have resources for everyone you know mm-hmm. and we were just tar- we were really targeting the most vulnerable but that's not to say that she didn't need help you know she fucking she definitely needed some help but we just i i couldn't do it and what i'm trying to say is like okay you know with the humanitarian work there's the beauty of it yeah you work in this you get exposure to different cultures that's beautiful you get to see a lot of countries that's cool but yeah like i'm saying you compromise on personal relationships you also like seeing these things over time also takes a toll on you you know like it, it's mm-hmm. kind of it, it affects you it affects you in a negative way because at home you know of course there's people that are in equal need mm-hmm. but in like like i'm saying people live in bubbles right like in miami lakes you don't see that you don't see mm-hmm. that that people in overtown are suffering and maybe they don't have food to eat sometimes you know like it's i don't know seeing the more extreme it really takes a toll on you over time and you right. and you give up a lot mm-hmm. and, and definitely you know thank you for for you know taking that kind of you know like sacrifice in order to enrich the world but now that you've learned so much from around the world what do you think would help here in America as well like what you have learned like that you think you could you know, apply maybe it would be like a good idea for America to try maybe if you know anything that would help here that you've learned well there that no one else has maybe thought about or for example maybe uh, UBI or something I don't know whatever I don't know how to answer that but uh-huh. like for example with COVID, I think there's a lot of, you know, being back home during COVID was really unique for me because one, it showed me a lot of the value of the work that I do as a humanitarian worker because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, of, a lot of the response that, for example, the U.S. government is doing for vaccines or the measures that they took to kind of control COVID these are things that were that I or you know being in lockdown situations. These are things that are normal to me because I'm doing mm-hmm. humanitarian work. So like being in a lockdown, like fuck. Sometimes that that's the situation that I'm in. Like you know, like in you know in Iraq, for example, like in Baghdad, mm-hmm. I'm not able to go anywhere because there's 
there's ISIS, Iranian militias. Like I, I, I can't go around, you know, in Erbil. It's more free, but there's certain areas that also I can't go to because it's higher risk to, to, to be in a conflict. And like what I'm saying is like being in a lockdown situation is normal to me in a way. Mm-hmm. But you know, in, in the U.S., like people. You know, kind of took for granted their freedom, mm-hmm. and then like, I think it goes back to what we were saying to before about being tolerant, finding common ground. You know, because one of the things that I saw a lot with with COVID is that people at the beginning were tolerant of the situation; they were kind mm-hmm. of supportive. But then at the end, they started thinking of themselves, and they forgot that it was not about you; it was mm-hmm. about what you would do to other people and mm-hmm. how you could potentially like be asymptomatic and get your friend sick and your friend mm-hmm. could possibly die, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so I think like, I don't know, your question is hard to answer because I there's not one specific thing that I can take from my experience to translate to the US. Mm-hmm. But with COVID, I think being tolerant and being more conscious of like h- how you affect other people is something that people should think about. I think right. like it's not about you all the time. It's about, you know, there's in the US there's a lot of value on individuality, which is good. But there mm-hmm. should also be like communal thinking to some extent mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. of like, you know, how are we living together as a community? What can we how do we support each other? What effect do I have on other people? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it, you know, in Miami, for sure, it's more like like the culture is me and fuck you. Like, that's just the way it right. is. Right. And I definitely see that. But now, like, we're, we're trying to, you know, find some conclusion to this, right? So I want you to tell me how like, your advice to other people who maybe want to get into your line of work. Like, what should they be aware of? How should they start? Like, from the start, how, how should they begin trying to do your line of work? I think, I think with any work, I don't think, you know, when we go into, first of all, like I'll, I'll definitely you have to get some kind of like bachelor's, higher level degree, master's, whatever, because it, it makes a difference. Otherwise like it's, it would be, it's almost impossible to, to, to get into this line of work. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have to study a specific thing. And I think that's with anything, actually. Like, it, now that in my 35s, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's something mm-hmm. that, I, that, I, that I can understand. Like, you know, when you, when you graduate high school and you go into college, there's all this pressure. Like, you need to be an engineer. You need to be a lawyer. You need to become a doctor. You know, there's, like, these pressures to do, like, certain careers and study certain things. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you study what you're interested, you find your way and you can do pretty much anything, right? Like you can mm-hmm. get into almost any field if you have the right attitude and you, you know, are able to kind of make connections with people. Mm-hmm. So I think for sure, like if you're trying to get into humanitarian work, get some kind of get a degree mm-hmm. and then try to get some relevant experience through an internship or apprenticeship of some sort. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, build relationships with people because then 
through those relationships, you know, you can push yourself forward. And, you know, mm -hmm. once people understand what you bring to the table and who you are, then things kind of come together. I think, I think that's something that's undervalued that, and I think, you know, in some countries you see it more than others, like for example, Latin America, you don't get a job unless your mom and dad know some so-and-so. Mm -hmm. The U.S. is different. You get a job through an application process or whatever, but relationships do have an influence. Your personality and how you connect with people have an influence on the job that you can get, you know? And also for you, like as a person, you need to work for a company and for people that you want to work with. You don't want to work with people that, that, that you hate, right? So like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I think, you know, having education, building your skills over time through internships and getting experience, whatever way that is, it could be Peace Corps, it could be, you know, volunteering mm -hmm. organic farm in Costa Rica or doing whatever. And mm -hmm. then using that to leverage building relationships. I think that's the way to go about it. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, you're right. I think forming connections with people is probably the best way of getting whatever job you need or want, right? It's, it's the same with me or anybody else. Like for me, that's, that's how I got my jobs. You know, I talk to people, I make them, you know, understand who I am and you just form that relationship because at the end of the day, you know, you're not a robot, you're a person, right? So you're trying to do that kind of connection. And I think that's what matters in the world that our friendships, you know, our relationship with other people. And I think that's what, you know, that's what the humanitarian is there for. It's called, there's a human in that word. And I think that's very important to not forget that human is part of that word, part of that job experience. And you have to be human. Human, yeah. humanize yourself to get that job, you know? Right, so any final words for yourself? Any final thoughts? I think, I mean, yeah, if people, if people, if people watching this are interested in humanitarian work and, and they want to reach out, I'm happy to talk about it. I think it's, it's more common in for people from Europe to, to mm -hmm. do this kind of work, but there's mm -hmm. there's really very little people from the US, very little, you know, Latin people, Asian people mm -hmm. doing this kind of work. So I think I think it would be good for, for, for more people to to get into this field. But you mm -hmm. know, like for when I go home I'm I've never met any other like person in my line of work. I know people mm -hmm. in my line of work only because of the network that I've built over time, but it's not very common. And I think right. it's an undervalued field in the US. So I don't know, I encourage people to, to, yeah. to look into it. And if they want more information, like I'm happy to, to, to talk to anyone. So yeah, uh, uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to, I can, Maybe link your your contact information down below to the in the to the details maybe, and if people want yeah. to you know if people want to reach out and ask your help, I think that'll be yeah. pretty cool. All right. Yeah, I'm happy to help for sure. All right, man. Well, 
I thank you for participating in you know this little story time, and I'm I'm glad you were able to share your experience with us. And you know what? And I guess we'll catch you guys next time on our channel. See you guys.